0: A series but that's called the elephant in the room and if you're new I just want to say welcome this is a great series you can just jump in at any time and we've been talking about maybe some of the awkward topics that come up in society and in life and we see that God has a lot to say about these most controversial and awkward topics and he helps us to learn wisdom through the word of God which we believe is inspired by the Holy Spirit it's alive and it's for us today so that's where we we get wisdom. And that's where we learn about God's plan for the world. And how many of you know that God, he enables us through Jesus to be adopted into his family. And because Jesus is our king, through Jesus, we become royalty. You actually become kings and queens in God's family. Do you know that? Someone here, she's like, I felt like a queen my whole life. I knew there was something behind that. Praise God. Amen. That's him. Yes. And a king. I love it. Right. But here's the truth. Here's what I want to talk about today. We are kings and queens, but sometimes we act like drama kings and drama queens. So today I want to talk about drama and division. And this is a healthy church, and I'm very grateful that this church is healthy and that there's a spirit of peace and unity in this church. But guess what? That's a great time to talk about potential problems like drama and division. I'd rather talk about these things while we're healthy and united so that you know what to be on guard against. So Psalm 133, verse 1, it's going to come up on the screen. It says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And all God's people said, Amen, amen. That's why I love being a part of a church that's unified, even though people go to different services. Some people come to this this room. Some people go to our chapel and our chapel service. Some people attend our church at our Ahwatukee campus. Shout out to our Awatuki campus. If you go there, people are getting saved in Ahwatukee every week, and we love it, and they're coming to Jesus. We're We're all one church, even though we meet in different locations and at different times, and we're united by the same Spirit of God as one. One body. Amen? And I love that. I love that. But guess what? As long as there have been people in God's church, there has been drama. There's been division. And that's the way it's been. From the very beginning, there have been people who get offended, people who stir up trouble, people who cause problems rather than peace, division rather than unity. And we see an example of this in First Corinthians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, and he said, Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Right? Paul, I love this. He's like dad scolding his people at this church. And he's like, your sister Chloe told me you've been fighting. Remember, your brothers and sisters. Now hug your brother and say you're sorry, right? I've had conversations like this growing up. And so we see that there have been drama queens and drama kings. And and we have those types of people kind of pop up here and there at times. And, And maybe you're not one right now, but someday you could feel the pull to get sucked into someone else's drama. Isn't that crazy how that happens sometimes? Sometimes you find yourself in the middle of someone else's drama and you don't even know how you got there. And you're thinking, how did I even get in this position? I don't want to be involved in this drama. It can be tempting to get sucked into quarrels. So I want our church to know what drama and division looks like so that we can be on guard against it. I want us to know why people do it and how to avoid it. Avoid it because nobody's got time for drama right? No, no drama. You don't want no drama. I don't, I don't want it. And and drama doesn't just walk into your life out of nowhere. Here's the truth. You either cause it, you invite it, or you associate with people who bring it. Now there's some, some of you don't even realize that the storms in your life are caused frequently by you, but then you complain that it's raining. I want you to know, and this is the reason that some people have to leave their job and their town and their church about every two to three years. Because their reputation has caught up with them. And now they feel, I got to go, go somewhere else where I can outrun this reputation where people don't know me and my drama. But we get so used to it. We get so used to this type of behavior. Maybe you've had conflict with other parents at Little League events or sports teams. Or maybe um, you've seen cliques in high school. Maybe you knew the Mean Girls. Or maybe you saw at churches, right, there there were cliques and there was drama. Or maybe if you're a part of a life group, um, maybe there was drama in your life group. Because there are people in your life group, so it's always possible. Maybe you've seen drama as people leave their church and they they make a stink and there's all kinds of division and fighting. And and the truth is that we don't sit around and gossip the way that we used to back in the day. But people stir up more drama than they ever have, thanks to our friend, Facebook and Twitter. Mm -hmm. And so there's this thing called vague booking is the title where you make vague, passive-aggressive statements about people or things that you're mad about, and because you don't mention them by name, it's somehow okay. Or there's a thing called subtweeting, subliminal tweeting, same thing, where you're, you're talking trash, but supposedly people aren't supposed to know who you're talking about, I guess, because you didn't mention them by name. And so we see that people do this all the time. They talk about their own spouse like this. their friends. They're pastors. I can't believe it even. But yeah, even their bosses. And, and so, you know, I see this behavior all the time. And uh, I have been thinking the last couple months about this sermon. So I saved some of your guys' posts. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. I wanted to. Oh, I thought about it. I screenshotted some things. You know, but I was like, no, Jesus. Okay, I hear you. So, I didn't want to embarrass anybody, so I, I, I dug back, I dug way back into the archives of Facebook. Before you even knew there was a Facebook, I had to go way back. And so I found one tweet from this girl. Um, she was popular with the, the, the men, a little too popular in her town. And even some of our favorite um, Bible characters knew her and she caused some problems and she kind of had a bad reputation in her village. And they were all confused when Delilah posted this maybe you've seen this. She said, I, it'd be nice if some people wouldn't say I love you and then lie to your face. At the time, they didn't really know who she was talking about. But now, you know, we read in the book of Judges, and I guess she was having some drama with her BF, Samson. You know, and she was like, S- tell me the secret of your strength. And he like lied to her. And then she's like, you don't even love me. And, but like, at the time, they didn't really know what she was so upset about. And People do this kind of thing all the time, don't they? They're always like posting about their own boyfriend and their mom and and they're saying things and they're frustrated. and, And I just have to ask myself, like, why are you blasting to the whole world what one person needs to hear? Right? Not only does it make you look like a drama queen, but the one person who needs your feedback might not even see it. And then I found another post. I mean, like, we know he was a good guy. Um, he did a lot for God's people, but he could also be a drama king. King, um, Our homeboy, the prophet Elijah, he posted this. Um, he said, I just want to die. <laughs> Hashtag done. Hashtag not like you care. <laughs> right? Do you have any friends that post stuff like this? Just like vague, ambiguous tweets and Facebook posts. Like, I'm just done. I'm so over it. I can't even anymore. And it's so, like, you're a, you're a nice person, and so you're like, oh, what's wrong? I mean, are you okay? Uh, what's up? And, you know, that's what we do, and, and people kind of, they post this kind of stuff, you know, and, and it's vague, and, and really, you could just translate it as, I want attention, right? Look at me. I mean, would you stand up in the middle of this room and, like, on your chair and just be like, look at me, everyone, but people do this online. And I know it's awkward to talk about this. Like it's kind of it feels weird talking about Facebook and church. But like this is the reality we live in today. This is where a lot of our drama happens. And so I, I found one more I wanted to share with you. I mean, they, they were already concerned about his motives. And the other disciples were kind of concerned about his character. But then especially when Judas posted this, he said, I love it when we waste money that could have been spent feeding the poor. <laughs> eye-rolling Hashtag not really, in case you didn't pick up on this sarcasm. There was this whole thing where this lady poured out perfume on Jesus and Judas. You know, he's like, we could have spent that money on the poor. And, and you know, he had to tell everybody about it, apparently. Um, but he wasn't really a good guy. And so this kind of stuff has been happening for a long time, as you can see. Uh, and it happens today. It happens all the time. And, and it happens when people are just kind of venting their frustrations, and maybe you would say, well, you know what, Pastor Ryan, it's normal to vent. And sometimes you just need to vent. And, and I think, like, that's, a, that's it's true. You could sometimes benefit from venting. But I would say, you know, what if you vented your frustrations to your Father God in heaven instead of Facebook? You know, a lot of us would say, I need to pray more. Like every Christian ever said that. But I would say if you would just pray half the time you spend posting your problems on Facebook, you'd become a prayer warrior overnight. Am I right? Now, I know you're not like this. I know you guys don't struggle with this. But maybe you know people who do. Maybe there are people who in your life are constantly getting into fights and they're stirring up drama. And and so I want you to know what this behavior kind of looks like and and some of the people that engage in this behavior. Um, And maybe you've seen this type of person. Maybe you've seen the person that's a gossip. Maybe you've encountered a gossip. Some people gossip and they just talk about other people. Proverbs 16, 28 says this. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Isn't it amazing how many relationships have been ended because of a conflict that started with gossip? And people don't really use the word gossip that much when they're talking. Like like you don't sit down with your friends and, and hear, you know, I've got some juicy gossip for you. People don't really say that, but they'll say other things. And these are phrases you've probably heard like, have you heard? Have you heard about this thing? And then people say this, I don't want to say anything bad, say it with me, but, right, and you know exactly, now they're about to say something bad. Or my all-time favorite from religious people is, you guys, come here. We really need to pray for Sister Susan. Have you heard, have you heard this thing? I don't want to say anything bad. But we need to pray for her because she's got some problems, right? Like, this is what people do. They talk like this, and, and, and it's not good for the body of Christ. They, people do it because they want to be in the know. They want people to think they're important, and so they want to share their juicy gossip. And a lot of times people gossip because they don't want to have to deal with the mess in their own life, so they'd rather talk about other people's problems. So maybe you've encountered a gossip. Maybe you've also encountered this type of person, the hothead. How many of you know a hothead who's always getting angry and flying off the handle and getting emotional for no reason? And here's what it says in Proverbs 18.6. Fool's words get them into constant quarrels. They are asking for a beating. Great, great verse. So if you've ever thought to yourself, man, that guy needs to get punched in the face. The Bible said you would think that, right? The word of God is alive and active. It's amazing. He knew exactly what I was going to think. Maybe you have encountered people like this. They're emotionally immature. They're spiritually immature. And so they, they post, you know, as soon as something upsets them, they, they go to their friends. They start texting everybody about what they're upset about. Um, but they do it maybe uh, for understandable reasons. You know, sometimes we get stressed. Sometimes we've been hurt in the past. And so because we've been hurt, if anybody pokes on that, that scar, that tender wound, we can lash out. So that's why people become hotheads. Uh, a lot of the times. Then there's another person we kind of mentioned earlier, the the attention grabber. You know, the attention grabber. This is the person that just, you know, walks into a room flustered and just says, I can't take it anymore. Basically, she's just saying, you know, look at me, look at me. Nobody even cares about me. You're like, yeah, that's not true. I mean, but really it's someone that just wants attention and it wasn't cute in junior high and it's still not cute today. And then, you know, maybe this person, the manipulator, the manipulator, the person that's always maneuvering politically and socially, uh, stirring up drama and division, and this manipulator, sometimes the manipulator is in your own family. You know, maybe you've got a parent or an in-law like this who's manipulative, and they're saying things like, you always do that, you never do that, They they use words like that. They'll try to use their emotions to manipulate you. And and I hear people um, uh, use manipulative phrases in the church all the time, and they don't even realize they're doing it. They use words like everyone and a lot of people. That's what they'll say. They'll say, Pastor, everyone is really upset about this. Oh, really? Everyone? Did you survey the whole church? I've talked to a lot of happy people. Or they'll say this. They'll say, Pastor, everyone's leaving the church right now. A lot of people are talking about. And I'm like, huh, that's weird because I get the attendance reports and more people are coming to church. But according to you, everyone's mad. Is it possible that maybe you're mad and you're just too insecure to own your own position? So you need to make it sound like you're part of a coalition of righteousness. I think it might be the latter. I, I don't know. It's always funny how in churches when people become dramatic and divisive, often they'll talk like they're speaking on behalf of God. They'll, they'll, they'll mask their, their issues and their, their divisiveness in spiritual language. And they'll say things like, I really feel like God is leading me to kick you out of this church. I really feel like the Lord is calling me to put her on blast for her sake, right? And this is how they talk, but obviously this is not godly behavior. And I wanna read to you from Galatians chapter five, verses 19 through 21. This is a passage that you've heard before and explains where this behavior comes from, but I want you to notice something maybe you haven't really paid attention to before says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery. But then look at this, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division. And then you get envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So did you notice that? That there in the middle of this passage, which talks about the desires of our sinful nature, must have been important because tucked in between idolatry and drunken orgies is drama. Drama. That is funny, right? Like God knew we were going to struggle with quarreling, hostility, jealousy, outbursts of anger, uh, selfish ambition, dissension, which is talking about division and division. The Bible is describing drama and division. And we struggle with it. It's a common problem. So why do people act like this? What is the root cause of this behavior. We know that it's sin, but more specifically, I want to talk about why we act like this. I think that we engage in drama most of the time because we've been offended. We've been offended. And to be offended, I just want you to understand the definition of that word. It's to be resentful. It's to be annoyed, to have your feelings hurt, to feel insulted or disrespected. That's why We engage in this type of conflict. And if you don't know how to handle conflict, you're going to be tempted to stir up drama in your life and to fight with people and to quarrel and to outburst in anger. And the truth is that, and isn't this true, the people who we're closest to are the ones who most offend us. The closer you are to someone, the more you can see their imperfections. Man, you thought he was well-groomed when you dated him. But then you lived with him after you got married, hint, hint. And you realize he's a mess. He's a mess. And so you you see, like, man, that guy's got imperfections. I thought she was sassy, but really, she's bratty. (laughs) Right? It's not as cute anymore. (laughs) We see each other's faults the closer we get. And so it's the people that you're closest to who are the most likely to hurt you, isn't it? Nobody makes you more mad than your own spouse or your own parents Or your own kids. You're closest to them, and so you're the most vulnerable. And because you're the most vulnerable, it's easiest to be hurt by them. And it's also easy to become offended when you have unrealistic expectations of people. And you think, well, my spouse is going to fulfill me. My spouse is going to love me perfectly when only Jesus can. My spouse is going to cook amazing dinners every night like Martha Stewart. No, she's not. She's not. I mean, mine does, but yours isn't going to. So don't put that on them, amen? And, and so I think that people that you're close to and people you have unrealistic expectations of, they're the most likely to offend you. So you need to be on guard of that. People get hurt by their spouse. They get hurt by their pastor because they think their pastor's some kind of holy man. He's not. He's a sinner like you, amen? Confession time. And so you got to watch out for being offended. And why do we get offended? Here's a couple of the specific reasons why we get offended. Because we're prideful and selfish, Here's what I mean by that. We often think my way is the best way. Why don't people do it like me? If you don't do it like me, you're stupid. And you judge other people and you condemn other people when they don't do things the way you, should, they, 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 you think they should be done. We think I deserve better than this, right? Why are people not thinking of me as much as I think of me? Well, it's because you're selfish, <laughs> right? And we think that, you know, we're more important we don't say that. Nobody's going to say that out loud. But we act like we believe it. We're prideful. We're self-centered. And we hold people to a standard that we would never want to be held to. Isn't that true? There's actually a, a social psychology statement or a title for this behavior. It's, it's called fundamental attribution error. And social psychologists say this is when... You make a mistake and you attribute your mistake to external factors. But when other people make a mistake, you attribute their mistake to internal factors. So what this looks like is if I'm running late, it's because there was traffic and I had a bad night of sleep. And there's a lot going on in my life. And I normally am not running late, but this is just a a tough situation. I'm having a bad day. External factors. If you're running late, it's because you're lazy and you don't care about people and you're selfish. Internal factors, right? Psychologists call it fundamental attribution error. God calls it you're prideful and selfish. We never consider what's going on in someone else's life when we get offended at them, and we need to. We need to not be self-centered. And then here's another specific reason, because we become, I think as Christians, religious and judgmental. Sometimes I think that Christians can be the biggest drama queens and drama kings. I don't know why, church. I don't know why. I think it's because sinners know they're sinners. They just own it. They're like, yeah, I'm a terrible sinner. All my friends are sinners. But we have fun. Just being honest. But some, for some reason, you become a Christian, and all of a sudden, you forget that you were a sinner, saved by grace. And you start thinking that you earned your holy crown of righteousness, and you didn't. You didn't. God came in, and he cleansed you just the same as everyone else. There's that famous passage that says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. But I'll be honest, when I read that passage, sometimes I think it should say this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, except from those who are in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Sometimes it's Christians who are the most condemning and judgmental people. Why? Why are we doing that? Why are we holding other people to the standard of the law when we know we've been saved from the law by, by Jesus through his grace? Why are Christians always dividing over matters of preference? Secondary issues. There are are primary, close-handed issues which we will not debate. We will not compromise on, no matter what. Jesus is God. The Trinity is real. He died for us. He rose again. The Bible is the word of God. You can only be saved by grace through faith in Jesus. We will not compromise on that. There's no discussion. But then there's a lot of other secondary issues that are open-handed issues, which we won't fight about. You wanna talk about when you think the rapture's gonna happen? Knock yourself out, right? I'm not gonna fight with you about it. You wanna debate issues that we can't clearly know because scripture is intentionally vague? Have fun, but we're not gonna fight about it. And I don't think that God is pleased when Christians divide from each other based on secondary preferences. I don't think that we need 50 denominations with different distinctive focuses. I'm not judging people in different denominations. I think it's whatever. They're great. But I think that God brings us together as the body of Christ and he gives us different gifts, different strengths, different passions so that we can benefit from each other mutually. So listen, don't get mad at people who aren't passionate about the same thing that you're passionate about. You will be tempted to go find a church with a bunch of other people who are passionate about the same thing that you're passionate about, who have the same gifting as you have, but then they'll have their own weakness. Rather, we should be a part of one body with different parts, and we should encourage one another in areas where we're strong. We should listen to other people in areas where they're strong, that we would be mutually built up and benefit from each other. Another thing that can cause drama in churches is growth. Isn't that true? We pray for growth. We pray that the lost will get saved. But then some people act like they're not so sure that they wanted it once it happened. You walk into church and you're like, my God, someone is sitting in my chair. What is going on in this place? I didn't sign up for this. I wanted sinners to get saved, but not to take my chair. They didn't know it was your chair. They just started coming to church two weeks ago, right? We talk like we want people to come into the kingdom of God, but then we get upset when the parking lot gets full. I, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Wouldn't you rather have the parking lot be full and hell be empty? I would. People get upset, though, when the church grows and they complain about, you know, well, my friend's not going to be in my life group anymore. Well, that's because God has called him to lead a life group and disciple other people, and he's growing. He's getting kicked out of the nest, and he's flying like a little bird. You should celebrate that. Oh, the church is growing. I don't get to hang out with the pastor as much. That's because the pastor's job is to raise you up to do the ministry, and so we're not going to get to hang out as much all the time, but we're going to get to hang out in heaven forever. So let's build the kingdom of God now while we can, and then we'll party for eternity, okay? It's so funny how people get so frustrated when they're religious and they're judgmental. And and I do talk about the church because a lot of this religious judgmental behavior gets directed towards people's own churches, right? I don't know how this happened. It must have been God. But just this last week, I saw this lady left a Google review on a church that she had been attending for seven, eight years. And it's a church in town that you wouldn't recognize the name if I told you. It's a great church. I love their their leaders and pastors. And this lady just left this scathing critical review about how everything has just gone to crap. And I used to love my church, but here's a three-star review. I gotta leave. I'm gonna go to this other church. Well, do you know that because your reviews are tracked according to your profile, that I could see her other reviews? And what do you know, six months later, she was leaving a two-star review for her new church. What? Something is in common between these churches, and it's your presence. So maybe the problem is with you. If everywhere you go, people are disappointing you and letting you down and offending you, I think the problem might be you. The only people who have time for drama are bored people. Nobody who is busy building the kingdom of God has time to fight with other believers. We're trying to build the kingdom so that lost people would know Jesus. I don't have time to fight with my own friends. I don't need to battle my brothers in Christ. I don't need to punish God's people. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but the enemy wants to come in and divide us because we can't be defeated unless we defeat each other. So he loves it when we fight amongst ourselves. He loves that. Don't give in to that that trap of division and drama. How do we avoid this? How do we avoid becoming drama queens and kings? How do we fight for unity? Let's read this Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. This is an amazing passage. So let's read this carefully and just soak this in. It says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Isn't that good? So here's how we avoid drama. Here's how you avoid getting sucked into it. Maybe you've been kind of a drama queen. Not going to put you on the spot. But here's how you avoid that behavior in the future. Here's how you avoid getting sucked into someone else's drama. And here's how you recognize it so you can deal with it. I want to help you with this. So here's the first thing. Forget the fools. Let's just be honest. Some people act foolishly. And you have to ignore them. It's actually biblical to sometimes just ignore people who are foolish, drama queens and drama kings. So you might have friends in your life who are fools in how they act. They're divisive. They're dramatic. In fact, one of your own friends, maybe someone who goes to your life group, is going to post some drama, divisive post this week on Facebook. And you can just post a link to this sermon and that's it. Right? It's helpful. (laughs) Here's what it says in Proverbs 19.11. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. People are going to wrong you. People are going to hurt you. Some of you have been wronged this morning since you woke up. Some of you were hurt on the way to church this week or maybe this last week or maybe this last month. Or maybe someone hurt you years ago and it's been a wound that you've been carrying For years, I want to encourage you to vent those frustrations to God, your Father. Stop talking about people and start praying for people. You'd be amazed at the difference that would make in your heart and how you feel and how it would help you to heal when you pray for the person who hurt you. Is it awkward? Yes. Is it hard? Definitely. But will it make a difference? Yes, definitely it will. It will. It will. And get into community. Get into community with other Christians. Sometimes people feel the need to vent their frustrations to the whole world because they don't have any community. We talk about life groups. Get in a life group. You need to sign up for life groups. If you have some real, living, breathing friends to tell your problems to, who can actually pray for you and encourage you and challenge you, that will do you a lot more good than venting your frustrations to the whole Internet. All right? That's a free tip. Here's what it says in Proverbs 22.10. Throw out the mocker and fighting goes too. Quarrels and insults will disappear. So that means if you have some people in your life that are always kicking up drama, you might have to throw them out. You might have to stop engaging with them socially. You can still pray for them. You can still love them. But if you see one of your friends posting some drama, don't like that post. If someone wants to meet up with you to talk and gossip, you don't have to meet up with that person. I'd say that drama queens and drama kings are like pimples. If you leave them alone eventually they'll go away so guess what if people stop returning your texts if people don't want to hang out with you anymore you might be a drama king so just evaluate that here's what it says in Ephesians 4:29: do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths this is a verse that my mom used to quote to me all the time when I was a kid but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So there are going to be some people who post some stuff. There are going to be people who say things about you at work, in the break room, and you're going to want to fire back. A lot of you will. How many of you are, you know, with it, when it comes to being like fight or flight, some of you are flight people. And you're like, I shut down. I don't want to fight can't handle conflict it just makes me feel nauseous and then some of you like me are fight people and you're ready to fight right like any excuse for a fight I'm in I love a good fight right so people are gonna post things that upset you they might even be talking about you or you think they are is what you want to say wholesome helpful Is it going to build others up according to their needs and benefit them? Is it good for the soul? If it's not, don't say it. Forget the fools and move on. Here's the second thing you need to humble your heart. We need to humble our hearts. The problem is not just that we need to be more positive. The problem is that we need to be less prideful we have a natural tendency to become prideful in our hearts and think about ourselves as better or above such types of behavior when it's not been that long since we've engaged in that kind of behavior. And some of us are still doing it today and so we need grace. And that's why the passage we just read in Colossians chapter three said, clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, with kindness and with humility, humility. And Paul, in the letters that he writes in the New Testament, in every letter he ends this letter at some point talking about unity in the church. It's like he had to constantly remind the church to get along. And what, what he said, and I noticed that in every letter, the word that was used most often besides love was humility. This word humility, that we should look at ourselves and say, I too have been saved by Grace. The opposite of a prideful heart is a humble heart. We have to remember, I, I have bad days too, right? I'm not just offended, I'm also offensive. I've also offended other people. And other people forgave me. And other people bit their tongues when I said things. And I deserved a beating, as Proverbs said. So I want to humble myself. I want to humble myself and remember that other people need that type of mercy. And we've got to also watch out if you're a Christian. Now, if you're a new Christian, new Christians I love to be around because they're very aware of the fact that they are saved by God's grace and they remember their past life, and they so they're fun to be around. They're awesome. They worship the hardest. They celebrate the right things. But then something happens for a lot of people at some point after they've been a Christian for a little while. They start, they start forgetting. They start forgetting what they were saved from. They start forgetting what other people are going through. And they become, they become difficult to be around. They become judgmental and religious. And they can start to judge other people. Oh, I can't believe he's watching that. Oh, I can't believe she talks like that. I can't believe he's wearing that. She's wearing that. I can't believe he got that tattoo on his face. <laughs> Be careful. Watch out that you're not tempted to fall back into religious behavior as if you weren't saved by grace. We don't need to be judging other Christians. That's not where our struggle is. We don't need to judge other Christians about their doctrine, especially if it's about a second-hand issue. We don't need to be judging other Christians about their church ministry strategy or how they worship God. It's not what we're called to do. And we see that this behavior even was occurring in Scripture. In Romans 14, there was a fight happening in the church about eating meat which had been sacrificed to idols. And some Christians were like, you can't do that. You can't eat that beef that was sacrificed to idols. That's idol beef. And other Christians were like, bring on the beef. Right? Like, it's just a hunk of wood. I don't care. I serve Jesus, the risen king. I don't care if it was sacrificed to idols. And so they were fighting with each other. You can't do that." And the other guys are like, "We want the meats." <laughs> and Paul, Paul wrote the church, and he said, "Don't be fighting about this. Make concessions for other people. Think about other people." And, and related to that issue in that, in that situation, in Romans 14, verse 19, he said, "So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding, even if you have a right to fight with another believer. Pursue peace and mutual upbuilding. Being humble, I think, as we read in Colossians 3, it's remembering God chose you. God chose you before you even cared about him. When you were lost in sin, he chose you. That's a very humbling thing to remember, that God chose me. And that's why he said, always be thankful. Always remember, God, you chose me. You saved me. I didn't deserve it. And so I'm thankful. And thankfulness leads to humbleness. And if you're humble, it'll become easy to become merciful and tender and gentle and patient. So we want to humble our hearts. And then here's the last thing as we come to the end of this message. We want to forgive their faults. He said to make allowances for other people's faults. In other words, just walk into any situation that involves human beings and assume on the front end that other people are going to make mistakes at times. Make allowances for that. Like as you come to church today, you just need to make allowances in your mind that you might bump into someone and spill your coffee on yourself. You might bump into someone who who you had some beef with in the past. And you might bump into someone who, who hurt your feelings and didn't say happy birthday to you. And so now you're mad at her. And, and it's a whole thing. But we're supposed to make allowances For the fact that we go to church and we are part of a body with imperfect people, yet we worship a perfect Jesus. And we need to know, I'm not here because of perfect people. I'm here because of one perfect person. I'm so grateful that imperfect people can be a part of this church. If you find a perfect church, you should leave it because you'll ruin it. (laughs) You can't choose what offends you. But you can choose how that offense will affect you. You can't choose what will offend you. Sometimes people will offend you. They'll hurt you. They'll be disrespectful to you. They'll hurt your feelings. You might not be able to help how you feel, but you can choose how you'll respond. You can be bitter or you can get better. And you'll get better only when you forgive the person who offended you. Don't hold on to the offense. And I want you to hear this in case you never have before. Jesus himself described how you should engage with another believer who sins against you in Matthew 18. Jesus says, if another believer sins against you, go privately. 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 Private message, maybe. But privately. And point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. So here's what this means. First, if someone hurts you and offends you and sins against you, obviously that part was clear. Go privately to that person and talk about the situation. Personal confrontation should be the first step, even though so often it's the last step. Right? So often everyone else knows what you're upset about except for the one person who hurt you. But if you'll go to that person first and talk to them and communicate, what you'll find is that so often we've been offended by miscommunications and false assumptions. And you know what assumptions do. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say it. I'll get in trouble. But you'll talk to people, and you'll often recognize that I had a false assumption. And so that caused me to accuse someone of something falsely, uh, wrongly. And you'll find, if you'll talk to that person, that you could save that relationship, which would have been maybe damaged because of a false reality that wasn't even real. You have to ask yourself and remind yourself, man, could I be wrong? I could be wrong. I could misunderstand this situation. Don't take up another person's offense. If someone else is mad at someone, you don't have to join that bandwagon. It's easy to, right? It's easy to get sucked into someone else's drama. Like, yeah, 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 he is terrible. Yeah, yeah, get your pitchfork. Right? But you don't need to engage in someone else's offense. Believe the best about other people. Say, man, that doesn't sound like Dan. That doesn't seem like something that Sharon would say. I know her. She's not like that. Believe the best about other people instead of assuming the worst. And what Jesus said is that you go to someone, if they won't acknowledge their sin, to come back with another believer in private and try to talk it through. And if they still won't, then, then you come to the church and, and talk to your pastors about it or maybe your life group leader and then try to you know, deal with it as a church. And then what Jesus said is if they still won't confess their sin, to put them out. Actually, it sounds very harsh, but why did he say that? For their own sake, that hopefully by such extreme measures being taken, they would say, man, maybe I did mess up. Maybe I did do something wrong. Now, this doesn't play out a lot of times in this day and age because people just so frequently will just leave their church if there's a problem. But this is the way Jesus described this. And it wasn't because he liked confrontation, and it wasn't because we want to have conversations like that, but the goal was that people would be reconciled to each other. That's what God really wants. He loves reconciliation. Even though we were divided from God by our sins, he sent Jesus so that we could be reconciled to him and restored to the relationship that he wanted to have with us all along. That's why Jesus came and died for us. If someone has hurt you, maybe you've been hurt, maybe you've been carrying around that baggage, maybe you've been offended by someone and you've been bitter towards that person. I believe God brought you here today to help you start the path of forgiveness and maybe even reconciliation. Not every relationship can be reconciled and it doesn't need to be, but some relationships can be reconciled and they should be. Sometimes, You'll be tempted to walk away from someone who offended you with one great act of offense and you'll forget about the hundreds of things they did that caused you to love them in the first place. So I believe that God might have brought you here today to encourage you and to prompt you in your heart to begin to forgive. And it doesn't mean that you're gonna instantly feel better. It doesn't mean you're gonna feel warm and fuzzy to that person or wanna go out to coffee with them. But God will help you to forgive if you'll open up your heart and just say, Lord, I want to forgive. I don't even know if I can, but I'm gonna try. Will you please help me? Maybe you've been someone who's been caught up in a life of drama and division. And today you've recognized some of the things that you do. And God is pointing these things out so that you can grow in this area and so that you can become a person of peace, in love, who brings unity to the body of Christ. So if God is pointing that out to you today, thank him for that. He's showing you that because he loves you and allow him to help you grow in that area. Whenever you feel God convicting you, that's because he loves you and he wants you to grow. You shouldn't be worried about feeling convicted. You should be worrying about never feeling convicted. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning to get ready to respond to what God is doing in our hearts today. If you're here and you'd say, I- I've been holding on to a grudge. I've been bitter in my heart towards someone that hurt me. I got caught up in some drama, some division that I didn't need to be a part of, and I want to be free from that life. I, I want to be a person of peace, and I want the love of Christ to rule in my heart. If that's you this morning and you need to respond to that, just begin to ask the Lord to help you in this area. Just... In your own words, between you and God, in your heart, just say, God, help me in this. Help me to forgive. Help me to let go of that past baggage and burden. God, I want to lay down that wound and that offense at your feet, Lord. I want to be free from this bitterness, which has been chewing away at my soul for maybe even years. I want to experience your peace and forgiveness in my life. I want to love other people. And if, if you're praying that right now, I believe God will help you. I believe he'll help you in this area. Now, maybe you're here with all of our heads still bowed. Maybe you're not yet a Christian, but you feel God pulling on your heart today. And, and you know, I've offended God with my sins. And I want to be forgiven by him the way that you describe. I want to become a part of the body of Christ I want to know Jesus and his love. If you are here and you're feeling that, that's the Holy Spirit of God who is pulling on your heart, and he's pulling you towards him because he loves you, and what he'll do is he'll show you that there is sin in your life, like there is for all of us, and he'll show you that there is a better way, and that way is through Jesus who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if God is pulling you towards him this morning, you have a choice whether to reject that pull and reject him and continue on in your own way or to accept him and to answer that call and renew your relationship with God. Ask him for forgiveness. Begin again with him. So as our heads are bowed, if your heart is here today, ready to accept Jesus and you want to be forgiven and have a relationship with him, you can just pray this prayer in your heart. It's not a magic prayer, but it will express what you're feeling right now. Just say, God, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've been separated from you by my own sin. And I want to be forgiven. I want to be restored to you in relationship. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for being faithful even when I ignored you. God, I didn't deserve this forgiveness, but I receive it. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. And I believe that I am forgiven and washed clean by his blood. I believe that Jesus rose again on the third day so that I could be victorious. victorious over sin and death. I receive that victory today, and I'm ready to begin this new relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God praise, church.